0: So if you've been with us for this last year, you know that we've been preaching through the book of Exodus. We've spent about eleven months in it, and this will be our last sermon in that book. And just a note for the couple of you that I know like to follow along who were not expecting this and are going to ask me about it later: we skipped last week. We read Exodus 34, and we skipped to Exodus 40. Um, and the reason for that is because. If you remember, and were with us a few weeks ago, and if you weren't, you can listen online, we walked through all of the instructions for the tabernacle. There's like five chapters of instructions on all the details of how to build the tabernacle. And then Exodus 35 through 39 is an exact repetition of all of those instructions, except saying that Israel followed each one of them. And I had us hear the first part of Exodus 40, because then that again repeats the pattern to make clear that um, that Moses and Israel obeyed God and built the tabernacle, but rather than walk through that a second time, it seemed fitting to me to um, to end here in this last chapter by doing something a little bit different. And so here's what we're going to do. And this is good news if you're new with us or if you haven't been here for the whole series. What we're going to do in just a minute here is try to preach through the entire book of Exodus in one sermon. Because I think when we go over the course of 11 months, it's easy to lose the forest for the trees. So let's pray before we try to do that, and then we're going to dive in. Father, I thank you for the chance we have to sit under your word, and I thank you for the love that you have for us and the way that you pursue us and call us to yourself. I pray that you would be with all of us sinners as we seek to understand your word and the story it tells, and be with me, a sinner, as I seek to preach it. All of this in the name of jesus christ Amen All right, so we're going to jump in here But real quick what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the whole book and we're basically going to ask two questions One is what are the themes that we see woven through this story? What are the kind of big picture themes that are weaving through the book of exodus? And two how do those themes connect to the story of jesus and the story that we're in? How is this also our story? With that said, let's start at the beginning. If you remember from 11 months ago or from a Sunday school class or whatever, Israel starts in slavery in Egypt. And they have been in Egypt for hundreds of years. Initially, they were immigrants fleeing a famine, but eventually the Egyptians enslaved them. And so back in Exodus 1, they put slave masters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Python and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. And so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. So Israel starts out in slavery. And right away, as we reflect on how this story connects with us, we need to bear in mind that the Bible consistently picks up that as an image of our condition as well. We need to recognize a couple things about that slavery. First of all, it's a slavery in which Israel is lost. They are not, in Exodus chapter 1, living in any meaningful way as God's people. They have largely forgotten who God is. They have a sort of distant memory of this God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but they are lost. And as a consequence, second, the Israel really just needs God to deliver them. Um, the situation they're in in Egypt is one that they can't get out of by their own effort, but they're trapped. They're enslaved and that is something that scripture invites us to identify with throughout the old testament and then in the new testament Slavery becomes an image for sin and what happens to us as we live in sin So for example, jesus in john 8 Says to the uh, the people listening. He says truly truly. I say to you Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin Or Peter speaks of those who lead God's people astray like this. He says that they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For what overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. In our natural humanity, that is to say, we are enslaved. That's the starting point of Israel's story and the starting point of the Bible's story about us. This world is ruled by the great powers Of evil all the structures of life and the world are corrupted by sin And as we are born into this world and come up in this world, we are slaves to it Sometimes that slavery is obvious You watch someone in like the throes of addiction and you can see those chains of slavery almost Other times it's subtler in the ways we all keep chasing the things that don't satisfy us in our sin over and over But we are slaves So that's our condition in israel's but god responds then in the book of exodus in the midst of that slavery Even as pharaoh is seeking to kill the male children of israel in an act of genocide Moses is born God raises up this deliverer to rescue his people from their slavery And we should notice why he does it in exodus 2 We read this It says during that long period Their enslavement the king of egypt died and the israelites Groaned in groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to god God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with abraham with isaac and with jacob So god looked on the israelites and was concerned about them So god had promised salvation to abraham Salvation to his physical descendants in calling them to be this special people and salvation for the world In that through them all of the nations of the earth were supposed to be blessed God promised this salvation and he is committed to that promise it says and so he raises up moses But a lot happens then before moses is ready to be this deliverer that god is raising up first he grows up in pharaoh's house until in this moment of maybe rage, maybe just misguided revolutionary spirit, it's not clear. He kills this Egyptian, and then he has to flee. After that, he wanders in the wilderness. Um, ultimately, he marries a woman from Midian and lives with her father and, um, and becomes a part of their household. And it is during that time, while he's caring for his father-in-law's sheep in the wilderness, that Moses has this encounter This self-revelation from God. The Lord appears in this burning bush to Moses and reveals himself as the great I am. Moses meets God and he learns who he is and then God sends back Moses to Israel. And as he does, he gives him two missions as he goes back to this enslaved people. Two missions. One is that Moses is supposed to reveal the knowledge of this God to them. He's supposed to just go tell Israel about this God and reveal him. Uh, Here's God's first command from Exodus 3. He says, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, which is I am, Yahweh, this word that, this name that God gave to Moses. um, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. So he says, Moses, first go back and reveal to Israel who I am so that they know who I am. And then also proclaim to them God's plan for deliverance. That's the second task Moses has, to proclaim God's plan to deliver Israel. So he goes on to say, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. So Moses is sent back to Israel to proclaim who God is and to proclaim his salvation. That mission sounds familiar if you're starting to see the way these things map onto the Bible's story. That's because that is also a pattern that repeats throughout Scripture as God raises up deliverers and is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Remember, in Scripture what happens is that we're given these pictures, these categories, these types. And as the story progresses, we see them develop until ultimately God in Jesus fulfills them. And so jesus does both of these things first jesus is pictured as the ultimate self-revelation of god Take john 14 where jesus says i'm the way the truth and the life No one comes to the father except through me if you had known me You would have known my father also and from now on you know him and have seen him So just as Moses is sent to say, here is who God is, here is who your God is, and reveal God to Israel with his name, I am. Jesus is coming and saying, in me you can know this God, and you can see this God somehow in me. So Jesus makes God known, and he proclaims God's plan for deliverance. But we'll come back to that in just a minute. Back to Exodus. Moses returns to Egypt and confronts Pharaoh, And demands Israel's release. And Pharaoh's initial response is to make life worse for the Israelites. He raises their quotas and forces them to do extra labor. And Moses is discouraged. And Israel is discouraged. But God makes clear what his plan is. He says, you are to say everything I command you. Your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. And I will lay my hand on Egypt with mighty acts of judgment, and I will bring out my division, my people, the Israelites. So God declares that this is what he's going to do, and then that's what happens. Through Moses, God brings this series of plagues on Egypt blood and frog and diseases on the livestock, and hail and darkness. And ultimately, the death of the firstborn. And there are three things, as we preached through them, that we said we need to remember about those plagues. Three things together that we have to recognize are going on. The first thing is that those plagues are about God defeating the power of darkness. They're about God defeating the power of darkness. They're not just really bad, freakish things that happen. Their aim is to show God conquering the evil powers of the world. Pharaoh, in the first place, stands in for the evil powers of the world. He pictures himself as a god and rules the most powerful nation in the world. Pharaoh's magicians stand in for the sort of dark powers of the world, as initially they manage to imitate these plagues, but soon they're unable to, and by the time the boils come, they can't even stand before Moses. And if you remember when we preached through the plagues if you were here the plagues themselves seem to stand in for the dominions of of egypt's gods they have these different gods that rule over these different things and each of the plagues is in essence god declaring judgment on one of those gods and showing that he is the one who's truly powerful god is defeating the powers of darkness in these plagues represented by the power of egypt god defeats the powers of darkness And that's one of the ways that scripture pictures Jesus's work as well. In his death and resurrection, for example, in John 12, Jesus says this. He says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. So as he prepares to die and rise again, he says, this is the point where judgment falls on the world. And the systems of the world. And where the prince of this world, the prince of darkness... Pharaoh of this age is driven out So god defeats the powers of darkness At the same time The plagues are also about god's missionary purpose in the world about showing forth his glory to the nations There's this way of telling the story of the old testament that views israel as the only people that god cares about But that is wrong. The old testament does not work that way And the plagues are actually a great example of that Um, God's heart is that people from every nation would come and follow him And he says as much over and over in the book of exodus Take this from exodus 7 He says the egyptians will know that I am the lord when I stretch out my hand against egypt and bring the israelites out of it So who's supposed to learn about god from the plagues the egyptians? Or Exodus 9, God says, I have raised you up for this very purpose, speaking to Pharaoh, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And that purpose of God in the plagues actually works. As Israel leaves the promised land, many Egyptians go out with them. Um, From Exodus 12, here's how it's recorded. It says there were about 600,000 men on foot, meaning men of Israel, besides women and children, And then many other people, meaning non-Israelites, went up with them. That as God moves powerfully in rescuing Israel, many of the other nations surrounding them, the Egyptians and the others that lived there, go out with them. And that, of course, is also part of the work of Jesus. Right after the words in John 12, where he says that he's bringing judgment on the prince of this world, he goes on to say, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people myself So jesus is also the culmination of this theme that as he breaks the power of darkness He is also drawing people from every tribe and tongue and nation into the people of god I mean we're evidence of that right all of us not jewish not you know middle eastern people who are somehow christians Are evidence of that work so god is defeating the powers of darkness gathering in the nations And then we also need to recognize in the plagues that God is providing a sacrifice. God provides a sacrifice for his people. One of the themes throughout the plagues is that Israel, while they are spared in some cases, are still very much sinners who deserve God's judgment. And that becomes especially evident in the last plague when God himself comes in judgment on the firstborn of Egypt. He instructs Israel on that night to kill a lamb for each household and paint its blood on the doorway as a mark to be covered in a sense by the blood of this lamb because God is coming in judgment. Here's what he says in Exodus 12. He says, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike the firstborn in the land, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I'm the Lord But, he says, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So even as Israel is delivered from this last plague and brought out of Egypt, it is because of this gracious covering of God by the blood of a lamb. It's not because they're better than the egyptians not because they're righteous or have it all together It is simply that god provides the sacrifice through which his people are saved And again The new testament applies that theme to jesus as well A lot So for example in the book of hebrews, we are told um, Comparing jesus to these old testament sacrifices of animals. He says how much more will the blood of jesus? who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So the blood of Jesus, who's offered as a sacrifice like this lamb, will purify us. Or Paul in Ephesians 1, in him we have redemption, which literally means to be bought out of slavery, to be bought out by God. We have redemption through Jesus' blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Which is to say that there's two things that God is saving us from at once in Jesus. We need to be saved from two things. The power of sin and the guilt of sin. And Exodus is really showing both of those themes. We need, like Israel and slavery, to be delivered from the power of sin. um, So that it no longer enslaves and rules over us. But we also need something done about our own guilt and complicity in it. We are not just victims in this world all of us at times have been the victimizers All of us have hurt people and wounded people and so we need something to pay for that guilt All right, I know we're flying through this and we're not done But let's just notice where we're at, right? So israel is in slavery like us and god raises up for israel a deliverer just as he does in us a deliverer who reveals god to his people and then who works their deliverance and then god comes in a way that breaks the power of the forces of darkness and makes gracious provision for our sins and draws the nation to himself and brings us out of slavery let's keep going in the story israel's brought out of egypt and into the wilderness God leads them in a pillar of smoke and fire, and he leads them to the edge of the Red Sea, where Pharaoh then comes out and tries to trap and destroy them. Um, and, but God parts the water, and he brings Israel through the Red Sea, and then causes it to crash down on Pharaoh's army and destroy it. And in some ways, that story is the final act of what we just said. God comes and he delivers his people and now they have been brought through the waters and are out of the land of egypt And pharaoh has been finally defeated. And so in some ways that's the end of that story But in other ways that moment of passing through the red sea is pictured in the book of exodus as a new beginning Up to that point the story in exodus is about how we get out of egypt how we're delivered from slavery and starting in that story It starts to shift to instead being about how do we live as God's free people. It shifts from being about what Israel is saved from to what they are saved to. Which is true in general of us as well. That God does not save save us and then sort of like cruise off and say, all right, have fun. That we are rescued from our sin and our slavery, but we're rescued to something as well. That's actually why that passing through the red sea is pictured in scripture as a sort of new birth or or a baptism For example, paul in first Corinthians says that israel here is baptized into moses in the cloud and in the sea Which is to say that god comes and draws these people out of this old life and then says now This is a new life based on my promises marked out for me that you were called into and then that is what the second half of the book of exodus is about israel is free from egypt and now they need to learn what it means to live as god's free people so in the story of exodus first they grumble about food and then they grumble about not having any water and god provides manna and god provides water and so we see that israel still has significant issues We also see the first beginnings of god working in them as a people He gives them their first military victory against the amalekites And he appoints this structure of elders and leaders over them to help govern them And then he brings them to the foot of mount sinai And this really is a full circle of the story mount sinai is where back in exodus 3 God met with moses and revealed his name And now mount sinai is where god comes again to his people to reveal himself to them And as he descends on the mountain in fire and lightning, he does a couple of things. First, he proclaims to Israel the fact that he has saved them. So in Exodus 19, he says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. So he declares first, You have been saved, right? I've rescued you and brought you out. And then he says, Then I'm going to teach you how to live as my people. So he says, now, therefore, because I've saved you, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. So he says, I've saved you. Now, here is how to live that out, how to live as my special people. And he says that the reason I'm calling you to do that is because of that same missionary purpose that I shared earlier. So verse six of Exodus 19, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. And a holy nation, which is to say that your job is to be this set-apart people, these priests to the world, so that as you come into the world, you can mediate God to them. You can show me to them. So then God appears on Mount Sinai and gives Israel the specifics of what that looks like. It starts with the Ten Commandments, which is kind of a summary of God's moral law. And then he gives them other laws and commands to constitute how they're supposed to live as a people We discussed all of those things back in those sermons. Some of those laws um, Are unique to israel in their time and place and because they are both a nation and god's people which um, Isn't the same anymore. Others of those are universal But here's what's going on The point again israel has been saved by god And he says, therefore, because you've been saved, you're supposed to live transformed lives so that you can advance.